think people think about sleep deprivation with newborns, but I think it goes all the way up, doesn't it? You know, a run of five nights with a toddler awake, you're sleep deprived again. And it doesn't take long for the brain to feel these effects. You know, it's only like a couple of hours of lost sleep and we're not working at our optimum. So it's a space where we need to, like you said, have some compassion and some kindness for ourselves, remind ourselves how hard it is. And also in spite of whether you're sleep deprived or not, looking after a child is really intense. It's insane, isn't it? What we do, particularly with newborns, where we're learning something completely new. Yes. And potentially recovering. Recovering from potentially a traumatic birth with zero sleep. And then we beat ourselves up. That's the real insanity of it, is then we're beating ourselves up. Yeah. And there's no other abdominal surgery or really transformative physical experience we would go through like birth, however you birth, and then be expected to be awake around the clock. So how do you help parents? What are some of your sleep philosophies? So I think, first of all, we need to talk about what's realistic, because I know we've spoken about newborns, and I think most people are prepared for challenges when it comes to sleep. But sleep challenges can, like we said, they can happen any age. And I think people need to remember that sleep is fluid. It's not linear. So it's not a straight line where you're going to be like, right, I have achieved X, Y, Z by this age and sleep's always going to be fine. There are little outliers, unicorn babies, where that does happen. And they're just always good sleepers. But for most babies, there's going to be blips in the road. So having realistic expectations, but also having some practical advice and things that you can do that feel manageable for you and your family. I think that's really important. I always say like, just have tools in your toolbox. We are all different. So it's working out which tools suit you and your baby, (laughs) because for some people, they might think actually, I'm a really routine-led person. I think I'd benefit from this. They might try a bit more of a routine. And by that, it could simply be trying to start your day and end your day at roughly the same time each day. Something as simple as that kind of nugget of advice can really change things for people. I remember with my first, we had disturbed nights and we'd start the day at all different times because if she'd been up for a while, you know, and then we'd sleep in and then we'd get up at half nine and then I would feel like I was all over the place. But then when I started the day between like 6.30 and 7.30, I realized actually that really helps us because then you can kind of predict when she's going to nap. You know, oh, she's going to be awake for a couple of hours after she's first woken up. And then you're like, okay, then the next nap will be probably a couple of hours roughly after that. And that's how you can kind of structure a day. And that predictability, I think, could be really anchoring for a lot of people. I think it's really helpful. So looking at routine and routine should be predictable, but it should have some flex as well because things happen and we need to be able to adapt to our babies and what's going on in our day. And then I always look at kind of sleep environment. Can we optimize that somehow? You know, can we look at blackout blinds? Can we look at room temperature, clothing, where they are sleeping, how they are sleeping? And then third and finally, I will often look at how a baby settled to sleep. Is that sustainable for the family? Is there some way that we could change that? And then working out a plan for how they do that. There's something so interesting that happens in my house. My girls are actually really good sleepers. And essentially, we had quite an elaborate settling routine. And Guy, my husband and partner, was like, I really feel like I want to share this with you, but they only want me because I do this whole singing. So we managed to change it. And actually what I realized was that I love it. 
I love stroking their backs to sleep and I love singing to them. And I have this weird thing where I feel like it's such a moment to watch them drop off to sleep. Sometimes I absolutely hate it and I'm like, there's so much I want to do. But ultimately when I take the big picture, I really enjoy it. And I had this insight and I said to Guy, I was like, the reason that we keep falling back into this or I keep falling back into doing this, even though I could probably wean them off it really easily, is because I really enjoy it. I love what you're saying there around who are you as a person? Because sleep's just one element, isn't it, of the, of the whole parenting plethora? And how do you want to do it and what works for your family? I think that's so important. The most important thing is if it's working for you and your baby and your child, please don't feel you need to change anything. As long as it feels sustainable, you're okay, you're happy, you're coping with it, then it's fine. Don't feel because your neighbor, your friend, your family does something different that what you're doing is wrong. There is no exam at the end of this. Like a lot of parents say to me, you know, I feel like I'm failing because my baby's not doing this. You're not. There's no such thing as a pass or a fail. It's only if it's working for you. But on the flip side, if you are in a situation where you feel like I just can't do this, this just isn't working. I feel like my baby's really unsettled and we're spending hours at bedtime. Have a look at what you might be able to change. What are some of the things that parents feel when they speak to you that they're failing at? Is this sort of parents not being able to put that sleepy, what do they call it? Drowsy but not asleep. (laughs) Drowsy but awake. That's it. I've never seen either of my two do that. It's rare, yeah. I mean, there's certain phrases and things and I think myths that are perpetuated within my industry. One of the ones that I really get annoyed with is about these long naps in the day. So some babies fine. They will do long naps. That works for them. Other babies will just do shorter naps. And actually it's not a problem if they're getting a pretty settled night's sleep. So you might have some babies that need loads more daytime sleep than others, but you have these myths where it's like, they must do a two hour lunchtime nap, right? My youngest, I've been a sleep consultant for 10 years, has never done a two hour nap. (laughs) And he's the son of a sleep consultant. He just doesn't need to, right? So he just blasts that myth out of the water. You just don't need to do it. He sleeps well at night. You know, we've got a well-balanced day, but long naps aren't necessarily something you have to do. And lots of parents say, I'm failing because they woke up after X amount of time and I couldn't get them back to sleep. And they were crying for an hour. I'm like, just let it go. Don't worry. You're not failing. That's one. The other one is we touched on it earlier, seven till seven. Again, my son has never slept seven till seven because he doesn't need that much sleep, but he will do 10 to 11 hours overnight. And honestly, I have had people come to me and say, my child is sleeping, I don't know, eight till six overnight, but I'm failing. I'm like, you're not, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, please don't think because you're reading something from a sleep consultant's page that says that, you know, that you failed, you absolutely haven't. It's an incredible thing, the generation that we're parenting in, because we do have all this access to knowledge and information that we just didn't have before. And I think it does create exactly what you're saying. We measure ourselves against these arbitrary phrases, myths that we heard. And, you know, 100, 200 years ago, it just wouldn't have been like that. It would have just been what was passed down from family to family. We wouldn't have known what other families were doing unless we knew them in our little vicinity. or We wouldn't have heard of that seven to seven. I just think it's really fascinating how important it is as parents to be able to hold information and make it work for us, not use it as something to beat ourselves up with. Yeah, absolutely. So when 
parents come to you? How do you help them? It sounds like you do an incredible job of giving them confidence (laughs) in whatever they are doing and reassuring and validating them. How else do you help someone who might be at their wits end? Sometimes it's useful to speak to someone or use one of our resources, whether that's our online courses or whatever it is that you found. I think it's good to take a step back and have a look at things really logically. And one of the things I'm really passionate about is empowering parents with information. You choose how you use that. And that might be that me or my team are guiding you or you're guiding yourself through that journey. But taking a step back, looking at things logically, is there a problem, number one? If there is, what's the actual problem? Are there simple steps and just tweaks we can look at initially just to maybe make things more manageable for you and your baby? Or is it something that's glaringly obvious to somebody else, but maybe not because you're so in it that you can't think straight (laughs) and you're so tired? So it's not easy, but having somebody to hold your hand can make it an easier process for some. You've mentioned some already, but what are some of the big challenges that parents will come to you with? Is it night waking, early rising, things like that? Yeah, I mean, early rising, so common for people to struggle with that. I think most children are naturally quite early risers and it can be a bit of a shock when you become a parent. (laughs) Long gone are those weekend lay-ins. But you might find that little ones are waking up at like five and then it's 4.30 and then it's 4am and that's really heading into nighttime territory. That's not like an early wake really in my book. So early waking is really common. Night waking, obviously, struggling to settle for naps is a big one. Lots of people will look at and find my resources around the four month sleep regression, which I say in that tone, because this is a time when your baby's sleep changes, but it's given this scary label. Yeah, that word regression is so negative, isn't it? I never thought about that, actually. Do you call it the sleep progression? Yes, I do. Because in paediatrics, the term regression actually is something quite alarming. And it's not that at all. It's around four months. And we say four months because it's common time, but it can actually be, I say, anywhere between 10 and 24 weeks. There'll be a change in your baby's sleep architecture. So how they actually sleep becomes more like an adult. Some babies, you won't perceive any change whatsoever. You will sail through it. You'll be thinking, they've turned four months, nothing's changed. So please, I have parents saying to me, I'm kind of waiting on the edge of my seat for this change. It hasn't happened. That's fine. Chill out. And some, they'll find that kind of what happens is they used to sleep pretty soundly for long chunks of time. And then all of a sudden that doesn't work anymore. They seem to be waking much more often. They're harder to settle. They're doing short naps. It's kind of like they wake up a bit from being a small baby in that fourth trimester and suddenly they're awake, they're getting FOMO, they're resisting like you used to rock them. The rocking doesn't work. So you push them around for hours in the park. This is the four month sleep progression. Mm -hmm. 